0: Welcome, 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 Navigator Nation. It's good to see you again. Uh, I was afraid for a minute, but we have made it up here now for our second consecutive episode of Breathe TV. As you can see, we're in a little bit uh, different surroundings now. Uh, Maybe we'll call it uh, Navigator Studio. I don't know. We're still waiting on that Netflix deal. We'll have to see how that goes, but um, not quite everything where I want it to be, but we have definitely made another step forward uh, in this new season of uh, Navigation. Uh, for those of you new to the program, my name is Mike Hess. I'm a respiratory therapist, registered pulmonary function technologist, uh, and a COPD advocate uh, in the state of Michigan. I uh, work alongside with uh, several groups uh, trying to improve access to uh, educational resources, medications, all the therapies that everybody needs to breathe a little bit better, uh, breathe a little bit easier, and uh, get what they need. Uh, every other week or so, uh, now that we're in our new season, we are meeting here live on Facebook Uh, so that we can go over some of the latest news of the last couple of weeks. We will tackle a topic of the day. Uh, In this case, uh, we're going to be looking at a variety of the medications that we use for appropriate COPD management. And then we'll have some time for your questions and answers uh, live from uh, a respiratory therapist, COPD educator type person. So, without further ado, uh, if I can... Part of the issue is I have discovered that my um, little clicker, my little remote, doesn't fit into all the ports with everything else that I need to shoot the video. So I'm working on getting a a port expander kind of thing and uh, hopefully it won't be as much leaning over uh, going forward. But uh, in any event the first thing we're going to talk about today is something that i hope you have already done uh, as we are in the midst of flu season and that is of course getting your flu shot Um, i know it is often a controversial topic any kind of vaccines for uh, various reasons have become controversial in the last few years Um, but honestly from a public health perspective from a respiratory perspective from a copd perspective vaccines are Uh, potentially one of the if not the greatest public health innovation of all time and flu shots are certainly no different we talk a lot uh, every year there's that controversy about how effective is the flu shot should i get it why should i get it if it's not going to bother me what about this what about that a new study that just came out of uh, i believe it was canada yes canada um, takes a look specifically at the effectiveness of the uh, flu vaccine Uh, in the COPD population. This was, of course, a couple of years ago, um, but they looked um, actually over the course of four years to try to uh, um, average out some of the issues with uh, the seasonal variations in in flu shot effectiveness. So over the course of 2011 to 2015, they looked at a couple of thousand uh, COPD patients, uh, people living with COPD. And found that uh, in their scientific terms, the adjusted analysis showed a 38% reduction in influenza-related hospitalizations in vaccinated patients versus unvaccinated patients. 38% fewer admissions to the hospital. That means that you are more than one-third less likely to go into the hospital if you get your flu shot. On top of that, um, they also found um, some improvement in those people as we, we try to impress upon everybody. Um, even if you get the flu, it's usually much more mild than if you had gotten that same strain of flu without the flu vaccine on board. And this study also bore that out uh, as a secondary uh, conclusion. Um, they found that um, those people who were not vaccinated... Uh, experienced higher crude mortality which means they were more likely to pass away from the flu um, and they were more likely to have a critical illness end up in the ICU perhaps on a ventilator that sort of thing um, so again it is absolutely important for you for everybody um, as many people as possible you know of course if you have a known allergy to something in the flu shot or, or, or things of that nature of course you have to be careful with that but that's why it's so important for everybody else to go out and get their flu shot so that we're not uh, passing those things around. Even with flu vaccines on the market, make sure you're doing your good hand hygiene, you're covering your mouth when you sneeze or cough and that sort of thing. Uh, but the bottom line is we are still uh, what we is usually considered the peak of flu season. Uh, it's not too late to get your flu shot. It's a, it's a bit on the late side, as in uh, I'll put on my, my parent hat for a minute and... Shake a finger. I don't like to do that, but that's how important this is. Um, get your flu shot as early in the season as possible, uh, but definitely it, it's, it's not too late right now to go get it. We're still in the midst of flu season until about May, uh, so we have plenty of time um, for people to get exposed, and so we need that protection. So moving on to something that is a little, le- um, well, I don't know if I'd say less controversial, but uh, maybe differently controversial um is that i'm just doing a quick check here to see if anybody's asking any questions you can go ahead and get your questions in now if you ask them directly on the video it is a little bit easier for them to see um but i will still make every effort to get everybody's question answered before we close off today but we are going to talk about uh, a brand new study that came out uh, is uh, regarding e-cigarette use or vapes um these have been a very controversial topic over the past few years. Uh, they've been on the market uh, surprisingly a long time. I, I saw some evidence that uh, they, they've been out since I think the early 80s, if not maybe even a little bit longer. But over the last five-ish years, uh, they have really gained a lot more attention um, for a variety of reasons. They're viewed as being a safer alternative to traditional tobacco cigarettes um, because it's a vapor rather than smoke. Um, so a lot of people think of them as a safer alternative. Um, there's been some talk about can they be used as a, as a, to help quit smoking because you can adjust the level of nicotine in the, the juice, they call it, the e-juice that goes in there, the vape juice. Um, so there's been a lot of controversy about whether it is actually a good tool uh, to help people quit smoking. And it seems like every week there's some evidence that comes out one way or another And uh, the pendulum keeps swinging back and forth. So the latest heavy hitter article that came out uh, was published in the prestigious New England Journal of Medicine um, a few days ago. And that found uh, about 886 participants uh, entered this, this program. And they found that those people who used electronic cigarettes or vapes to help quit smoking, uh, combined with uh, um, counseling techniques and that sort of thing, uh, were about twice as likely to quit and, or and to remain quit after a year, um, after the intervention. About 18% of the people who are assigned to the uh, electronic cigarette group uh, were able to maintain that quit for a year, uh, whereas about 9.9% of those people using the more traditional Uh, nicotine replacement patches and that sort of uh, uh, therapy uh, were able to maintain that quit. Uh, In addition to that, uh, much like we saw uh, some secondary outcomes with the flu stuff, we see some secondary outcomes here as well. Uh, We see that uh, the electronic cigarette group reported greater declines in the uh, incidence of cough and phlegm production, which means uh, more people were coughing less and having uh, less of that junk buildup in their chest um uh, over the course of the 52 weeks uh, and then also there were no significant between group differences in wheezing or shortness of breath. so um as far as uh, follow-on effects this did seem to be a fairly um successful intervention uh this group uh, was in the uk they they used uh, nicotine uh, containing juice of uh, 18 milligrams per milliliter which is uh, i believe if we're talking about uh, juices about middle of the road kind of stuff and then we're able to titrate down with that after the starter kit. Um, interestingly, they also looked at uh, how many of the group uh, had previously tried to quit smoking. They found that about 75% of uh, uh, both groups uh, had tried to quit using nicotine patches in the past, and about 40% uh, again in both groups had previously tried to use um, vapes, uh, these e-cigarettes, to to quit. And so then, so these were people who, um, by and large, had tried to quit before using some technique Uh, so this was a second quit which may also kind of skew the data a little bit um it's difficult to say you know people there are some other questions in here that the, the the survey team were was very open about saying that Um, You know, perhaps people had tried smoking uh, or nicotine replacement before, trying to quit smoking with nicotine replacement, had failed, and now they have kind of this negative impression of that. And so then when they try with the uh, electronic cigarettes it's viewed as a superior um, method, and so then they're um, more likely to quit, more likely to stick with it, more motivated, all that kind of stuff. Um, Interesting questions brought up here. Um the biggest concern that a lot of people have is uh, summed up in this paragraph here or no excuse me this is another benefit uh, among those people who were who hadn't fully quit um, those in the electronic cigarette group were more likely to at least reduce their smoking intake uh, or their smoking consumption rather than those uh, in the nicotine replacement group um, but it is unclear whether this affects future abstinence so those people who are using the, the vapes to quit were definitely able to smoke less than the uh, nicotine replacement group but we don't know how that follows on after a year Uh, one of the biggest concerns that was brought up um, by uh, in an editorial that kind of accompanied this article was the idea that um, people were able to quit smoking cigarettes but participants uh, who had quit uh, smoking cigarettes at the one-year mark 80% 80% of those people who were using electronic cigarettes at the 1 year point were still using electronic cigarettes uh, whereas only 9% of those people who were using nicotine replacement were still using nicotine replacement after a year. So that kind of brings up the question of whether we look at um, these these uh, treatments as a, as a true aid, a tool or if they're really more of kind of a transfer of addiction kind of thing and we're basically trading one devil for another because um yes they quit smoking but they're still taking in nicotine they're still taking in a lot of the chemicals that we don't really know what the long-term effects are uh, there's some evidence uh, in animal models that uh, exposure to some of these juices can create the same kind of damage that nicotine does um, the general consensus right now is that these devices are safer um, than traditional tobacco smoke because the, the idea is if you have a vapor it's a little bit better for you than uh, uh, smoke with all the particles and all that kind of stuff but we also have plenty of cases of occupational exposure to fumes and things like that where we don't see the effects until 10 20 30 years down the road and we simply don't have the body of evidence to show that these things are definitely safe or even that they're definitely safer so uh, what that boils down to is from a personal perspective you know, I, I'm not here to, to lecture people about that sort of thing. If that's what you choose to do, then that's fine. But from a clinical perspective, I have to advise that we simply don't know uh, what some of the long-term effects are, uh, whereas we do know what um, the, we have established the safety of a lot of the other things that we have out there. Uh, some of the medications we use, we know that nicotine replacement is generally safe, uh, with the exception of the potential skin irritation with patches, minor side effects like that. So it really really comes down to kind of a risk-benefit sort of thing. Lastly, on the news front today, some good news uh, from the pharmaceutical world. And I will disclose here that I have received uh, some minor speaking fees from some uh, companies in the pharmaceutical world now, um, trying to get people to uh, be more mindful of their inhaler technique and that sort of thing. Including the company I'm going to talk about here. Uh, they did ask me to participate in the advisory board all uh, last December um, So I, I did get a little bit of a, a lunch with that sort of thing um, but uh, From an objective standpoint, this is should be considered pretty good news uh, For the first time uh, we actually have a true generic equivalent to the longtime superstar um combination medication called Advair. Advair has been on the market uh, um boy i want to say about 20 years now uh was a long-term bronchodilator which we'll get into a little bit more that's actually the topic of our show today uh long-acting bronchodilator combined with a corticosteroid which we'll talk about both of those as we go on it's been on the market for a long time the difficult thing with inhalers especially since um, a lot of these, have uh, the FDA kind of got rid of a lot of the they switched from the CFC propellant to what's called the HFA propellant, uh, theoretically protecting the environment. Um, in order to get a new drug to market, you have to prove not only the, the medication is equivalent, but the device it's delivered in is equivalent. And that has been a holdup for a lot of medications. Uh, about a year ago, we saw the release of Air Duo. Uh, which was not a straight-up equivalent. The dosages are a little bit different because it comes in a completely different kind of inhaler. Uh, but this new device or this new medication called Wixella, um, comes in a device called an inHub, which uh, I forgot to throw a picture on here, but you can search up uh, Wixella. I' uh, got it on the screen there. Uh, you can get a picture of it. It looks very similar to, actually, it looks kind of like if you, if you took a traditional discus, if you took one of these deals and kind of squished it into a bit more of a triangle um, so it's a very very similar thing it opens up uh, works very similarly the dosages are the same it is truly a generic uh, straight up generic equivalent which should help out a lot of people get access to these medications on their various formularies for a lower cost that is a huge issue right now Uh, it's one of my personal pet projects here in michigan we're working very hard to improve access to these medications uh, because a lot of times they come on and go off these formularies without a real scientific back backing to it. Uh, and uh, groups like the COPD Foundation have come out and said um, that's not acceptable. We have people who are well-controlled on particular medications, and we can't just be switching them off willy-nilly um, just because uh, some company got a better deal for a month. Uh, so, But having a generic on board will help with that. Um, this is expected to hit the market on the second half of February, um, and that's really—I uh, guess—that's really the biggest detail on that. Um, it's going to be good news. First generic, first in a long time. Been waiting for that. Uh, it's come onto the market for several years now through the approval process, and uh, it's exciting news for everybody in the respiratory community, asthma and COPD alike. All right, so that is our news section for today. Oh, right, So we're just getting everything back where it needs to go. And we are going to be talking about uh, one of the. Every time I think I got this thing figured out, uh, I go in a different direction. We are going to be talking about uh, one of the frontline methods of uh, care in COPD, and that is inhaled medication. Uh, inhale medications uh, while nobody really likes to take uh, prescriptions or anything like that from time to time these are uh, one of those things that they really do help in a lot of cases Um, they help um, I think I may have thrown this out there last week or uh, two weeks ago last episode but uh, one of the most well-known COPD advocates out there uh, dr. Gene Ramos uh, from out in Iowa uh, talks about uh, frequently talks about how um, it's Exercise that allows her to live, but it's medications that allow her to exercise. So these are kind of a foundational thing uh, in COPD care and a lot of other chronic lung diseases. Um, We've got to have those airways open. We've got to have those airways under control in order to do the things that we want to do to actually improve quality of life. And oftentimes uh, these medications alone um, can help with with quality of life measurements. They work to open up and get air mo- moving more uh, easily, which in turn creates a more effective cough. Um, they put people at less risk for uh, exacerbations in some cases, uh, flares that that end up in the hospital. Um, so these these can be very effective tools. They're, they are one set of tools, but they can be very effective. The downside is there are so many of them. Uh, this is the latest poster. Uh, from the uh, and Allergy Institute that uh, came out about last year. It shows a lot of our medications here. Unfortunately, it's already out of date. We saw that um, um, we have a new generic inhaler coming out onto the market. Um, I can even tell you we had, uh, this came from uh, our professional organization, a professional organization, the American Association for Respiratory Care. Um, our um, uh, what we call our post acute care group that, that looks at chronic disease management and that sort of thing um, our section leader came up with that um, literally two weeks ago and again that's already out of date that was an improvement because that actually has some of the nebulized medications on here that aren't on uh, this poster but again it's already out of date this stuff happened so quickly It is very easy to get confused, it's very easy to get disoriented, and it's very easy to lose track of um, what you should be on. So we're going to take a look uh, first off at why you take some of these medications and why they're so important. Um, First off is this idea of bronchospasm. This is one of the um, biggest components of asthma and COPD care and what we see here in this animation is that this is a cross-section of an airway and what we see is uh while it's a little bit filling up with mucus and that sort of stuff too uh, we also see those little red bands around the outside those are actually muscles that surround um, your your airways and what happens when those when your lungs encounter an irritant whether it's tobacco smoke or wood smoke or whatever it is they tend to clench down in order to protect some of the more delicate structures uh, like the alveoli or the actual uh, oxygen goes in carbon dioxide comes out Um, they work to protect those parts of the lung by physically closing off the tunnel basically unfortunately when that happens obviously there's not a lot of air that's going through there too and oftentimes people will have some chronic level of bronchospasm uh, in their lungs Uh, Particularly with asthma, but also with uh, many with many uh, um, types of COPD, uh, many individuals with COPD. And so, our first set of medications that we're going to look at are called bronchodilators because what they do is they actively work um, to remove. Um, they actively work to remove um, that bronchospasm. They work to reduce those, uh, uh, relax those muscles. So that you the uh, airways open up again and you can get more air in and out. So this first row here, uh, we call them the beta agonist bronchodilators or the beta two agonist bronchodilators. You'll hear a lot of these medical terms come around. Uh, sometimes you'll hear beta adrenergic. Um, we clinicians love our ten thousand dollar words and with lots of syllables and everything else. So. Uh, but they basically all work on the, the same thing. They're kind of cousins of adrenaline or caffeine or other stimulants like that. They kind of stimulate that whole fight or flight reflex uh, to get your, your lungs open up. Uh, the downside to these is sometimes they also have a little bit of heart side effects. Again, you run into those fight or flight things and uh, that gets your heart rate going too. So sometimes we see a little bit of that with these. and. Um, This is the class that includes our old friend albuterol and its various different flavors and brands. Um, Works very well, um, but has some of those side effects sometimes. So, we also look at another class of bronchodilators that does basically the same thing, just on a slightly different chemical path in the body. Um, My uh, old respiratory instructor used to uh, describe it as first the uh, fight or flight reflex, or also the curl up, and then this one is the curl up and die reflex. Uh, this is the, um, these are your, what we call muscarinic antagonists or anticholinergics or um, all those other fancy words. Um, the cholinergic pathway is, again, that kind of curl up and die reflex that, again, you know, you still get some relaxation because everything, you, know, you got to be able to move that air if you're in a defensive posture. Um, and these are... Arguably the more important tool for COPD care is a little bit of an editorialization Um, The evidence is weakly biased for um, These anticholinergics, especially for long-acting medications, which again, we'll get into in a few minutes Um, But these work we often use them as kind of a belt and suspenders approach because if we can um, pull the airways open and push them open at the same time then um, Why not? Uh, works very well. These um, mostly are long-acting types of medications. Um, we do have one short-acting one um, called Atrovent. Many people are familiar with the combination of albuterol and Atrovent. Uh, oftentimes when it's nebulized, it's referred to as Duoneb, which uh, was the original brand name of, of that combination. Uh, we also have Combivent in an inhaler, um, so you may be familiar with it under those names. Um albuterol, I guess I should go back and, and read off some of these names. Uh, Ventolin, Proair, um, um, Proventil, um, those are all different kinds of albuterol, kind of like Coke and Pepsi in a certain way. They have the same active ingredient, um, but they just have some different other ingredients that can change their effect their impact on people. But at any rate, um, these uh, mostly are long-acting medications uh, and used for control and maintenance measures. So when we start talking about a lot of these medications, again, I'm throwing these words out there, long-acting, controller, short-acting, rescue, what does that all mean? Well, these medications for a very long time, we, albuterol has been around for a very long time, uh, and we use that to open up the airways, but it is metabolized fairly quickly. Um, in the, in the best-case scenario, the albuterol usually only goes for about four to six hours. It's kind of enough to get you over a hump. But for people who have this chronic bronchospasm all the time, that means you're kind of tethered to taking this medication over and over and over again during the course of a day. So uh, scientists and chemists and everybody else worked very hard to try to stretch out that long-term or stretch out that effect, uh, try to get it so that it wasn't metabolized as quickly, wasn't used up as quickly. And then we came up with this idea of these controller medications. Controller medications last anywhere from 12 to 24 hours and basically open up your airways to give you what I call a higher baseline. Um, your worst bit of breathing should be higher if you're on an appropriate controller medication than if you are without it. Now, you also still have, um, you all are also still able to have um, short acting inhalers called rescue medications. Those are generally speaking for if you're having a bad day, if, you're, if it's a ozone action day in the summertime, or if it's polar vortex day, Arctic vortex, whatever the thing is called, and it's 20 below zero, um, and you go into bronchospasm a little bit, that's what those medications are for. We have taught for a very long time that, well, maybe you should take these rescue inhalers before you take your controllers, and there's still a lot of controversy about what the proper dosing order is. Um, because some people seem to respond a little bit differently. But in general, we want everybody to have their optimal controller medication uh, and then follow along with uh, rescue medication as needed. And that's what those bronchodilators are for. We've got some that last for a long time, some that are for rescue. One class of medication that, um, oh, I'm not scrolling. That's what's going on. That's why it doesn't look like anybody's talking, and it just wasn't auto-scrolling like it used to. And we'll throw that in the bin of another thing that Facebook has messed with without telling anybody so this other this third class of inhaled medications uh, which we're going to talk about is called inhaled corticosteroids and what these do are just like any other steroid they work to reduce inflammation when you have again these these irritants in your lungs um, not only do your lungs uh, have the, those muscles to help to go into bronchospasm and close everything down but A good example, I keep doing this fortunately or or unfortunately. I scraped my hand on something the other day. I'm not even sure what it was offhand. But when you have that irritation, that injury response, your body's natural reaction is to kind of get red, kind of swell up a little bit, uh, brings a little bit more blood to that area and uh, some other inflammation things. And that's part of the healing process. That same thing happens inside of your airways. When you get those irritants inside your lungs, they start trying to protect themselves. They go into bronchospasm and they build up these, these inflammation areas, um, which has the, a very similar effect in that it closes down, as you can kind of see in the animation here, closes down the inside of that airway. And when you have less space for that to maneuver or for that air to get in and out, it's much harder for it to get in, air in and out. Um, You get shorter breath faster. It's more difficult to cough all kinds of side effects like that so One thing we can do is remove the irritant and that's why we do encourage everybody to quit smoking uh, It's kind of the the main mainstay of care, but we can also work on Reducing inflammation with medications if people are still smoking or if they've kind of gone into that cascade where they have this chronic inflammation all the time now in their lungs We can actually do uh, inhaled corticosteroids uh, that work specifically on those areas inside the lungs um, to bring down that that inflammation and open up the airways uh, that way. Um, These are, again, generally well-tolerated. We try to keep people's exposure to steroids as low as possible in general for a couple of reasons. Uh, First off, while inhaled medications do tend to stay in the lungs, which is why it's nice that uh, we can use these steroids, Um, they don't stay there forever. When we have people, this is probably more of an issue when we talk about asthma and kids and things like that. Um, When you have people who are on these steroid inhalers for years and years on end, some of that extra stuff kind of goes out into the bloodstream and has what we call systemic effects. Usually these effects are really confined to the lungs, but sometimes they do go out and and cause some of those traditional things. Anybody who's ever been on prednisone or something like that knows what systemic steroid effects are Um, hunger, irritability, energy swings, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And so even with uh, folks who are not kids, we do try to minimize their exposure. In addition. There's some evidence that people with COPD are at a little bit higher risk for pneumonia uh, when they're on inhaled corticosteroids. Um, again, it's a relatively minor risk, and we have to look at what the risks and the benefits are, uh, especially when we start getting into really complicated things like the overlap of asthma and COPD. Um, most, many people with COPD have uh, some degree of what we call reactive airway or airway reactivity, uh, which is kind of like asthma can be helped by these steroids um, so it, it's, it's difficult to kind of pin down um, who should be getting what basically but that is the role of these medications to bring down inflammation uh, these are cons- only considered controller medications they do not kick in very fast at all they need some time to work their magic and you need to sustain that over a period of time so these do not have a short acting version which makes them different, Uh, probably one of their biggest differences from the the true bronchodilators. So, um, we also have combination medications. We look at this whole row, and a lot of times we can get uh, two or now even three different medication classes in one device. The nice thing about that is, uh, first off, um, it can be lower copay for those people who are paying copays. Um, it's easier to dose, you know, it, instead of taking two or three devices, you can just take one and you can take them at the same time. And it's a lot easier to do that. Um, and we often see that a lot of these medications, um, kind of, uh, what we, the, the clinical word would be potentiate each other. They work together to kind of be greater than the sum of their parts. They, they're a little bit more effective when they're done together. Uh, and so we try and do them together. Uh, again, it's it, the best combination and the best device for each patient. Um, that's something that we really need to focus more on um, in, the, in the clinical realm and in, the, well, basically throughout the whole continuum of COPD care. We need to be focusing more on matching up the right person with the right therapy, including the device, um, so that we can get you the, the best care that you possibly can. Um, one thing that you have probably have noticed that I haven't really talked about very much is uh, is nebulizers. Um, nebulizers are a very, very effective tool, particularly for rescue, in, in my opinion. Um, they work fantastic for rescue because their, their biggest advantage is they are far less sensitive to technique. Um, a lot of these, and we're going to touch on this briefly, a lot of these inhalers require a specific technique in order to get your full dose of medication, whereas nebulizers are kind of designed to, they'll push stuff out and you breathe in as much as you can and um, they work a lot better in that regard. However, we don't have as much variety uh, when it comes to um, different molecules and things like that. And sometimes that's an important consideration. Uh, A lot of times we look at these where we say, well, this person has been on one of these anticholinergics and it didn't work, so um, maybe we should just give up. But we, we shouldn't, because everybody has different tolerances, everybody has a little bit different sensitivities, and we don't always have a very clear idea of how everybody's individual chemistry is going to interact with a particular uh, medication molecule. So, um, that's one uh, strike against these nebulizers is there is less of a, uh, of a variety. Uh, for example, uh, up until last year, we did not have a long-acting anticholinergic uh, in a nebulizer. We now have two Um, but we only have two, where you can see, if you look at the chart, we have uh, four or five in the inhaler. So um, there's a little bit less to talk about. All of the same drug class things are are still uh, applicable in the the nebulizer realm. Um, There's just not quite as much detail that we need to talk about uh, as far as technique or that sort of thing. Um, Next up. I really need to get that remote working next up is this class down in the in the bottom corner and you can see this whole bottom row uh, the biggest difference between these medications and what we've been talking about so far is that these are not inhaled Um, what this drug in the corner is we freeze up here hope not Uh, this drug in the corner here uh, is uh, called reflumilast the brand name is called Dalarusp, and um, what that does is it it's an anti-inflammatory much like the inhaled steroids uh, but it works in a different chemical path it's what uh, is technically called a pde4 inhibitor and a little bit concerned yeah everything is kind of frozen up there huh ah oh, come on Well, it wouldn't be a live stream without some kind of technical difficulty, I guess. on to YouTube tomorrow or soon let's see if I can hey there we go now we're back all right so what was I rambling on about oh this is called a phosphodiesterase 4 inhibitor. Uh, brand name is uh, Dalarest, generic name is Reflumelast. Uh, works to decrease some of that inflammation, um, but is not inhaled. And so that means that there is this potential for systemic side effects again. They are different than those that you would normally associate with um, uh, steroids. Um, one of the most common things is it causes a lot of gastrointestinal problems. Um, I've also heard some talk about some anxiety depression issues. Um, the thing uh, far and away, the most the thing I hear most about is uh, is the the gastrointestinal stuff. But again, this could be an option. We usually use this as a kind of a later 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 line of treatment. We have the stuff we do in the front lines. We have the you know the the first rounds of stuff. Uh, and if those don't work then we kind of escalate a little bit uh, delS is definitely one of those things that is uh, later on in the in the arsenal as we're trying to cut down on exacerbations and admissions and all that kind of fun stuff um, the last thing and hopefully yep okay we're still live hanging by a thread but we're still going um, the last uh, class of medications here maybe there we go are these biologics and these are injectable things that um, have a variety of different effects a lot of them are anti-inflammatory a lot of them do various things Um, the issue here is that many of these have been developed for asthma and they are very effective in asthma cases The biggest difference between asthma and COPD is that asthma, theoretically, you you can reverse back to your basic lung function, your normal lung function, uh, with an appropriate treatment regimen. Whereas COPD, you cannot. Um, And so a lot of the tests of these biologics, a lot of the studies in COPD, in in the chronic obstruction that's not reversible, have been less than impressive Um, there was one recently that uh, they were really pushing for hoping to get a new FDA approval specifically for COPD Uh, we're not able to do that uh, because it just wasn't shown to be effective enough not entirely sure why this uh, the whole realm of biologics is relatively new particularly with uh, um, with uh, respiratory disease Uh, and by relatively new that still makes it you know 10 15 years old sometimes but it takes time to develop this kind of data on stuff and figure out exactly what the right answers should be um, so it's tricky and so we're not going to go into a lot of a lot of uh, detail there uh, but this is a class that is available and then the one thing that's on the poster that is not a medication and therefore I did not highlight uh, this idea of bronchial thermoplasty which again is arguably a little bit more of an asthma thing but Um, The application of heat, as in thermoplasty, uh, and also um, cold uh, have been, um, and we're starting to look at some of that stuff in the realm of COPD as well to help with some of the bronchospasm or the inflammation uh, to open up the lungs that way. So, how do you know that you're on the right thing? Well, we've got two main classes of inhalers um, down here in the corner. Uh, you'll see the video that we did uh, earlier this week we dropped on, on YouTube uh, and uh, on our uh, Facebook channel here uh, called Spotlight on Dry Powder Inhalers, where we talk a little bit more detail in, in about those kind of inhalers. Um, basically, to sum it up, you have a couple of options, uh, which I will pick these two because this one is probably the one that has been... Around The longest and maybe a little bit more uh, maybe familiar with a little bit more people called the handy hailer, which is used for Spirego Basically the way this one works is you open up the whole thing like I have it here drop a little capsule that contains medication in there close that uh, close the whole thing back up pop it um, open up half of it again and take a Big deep breath in and get that medication down into the lungs. And then you should probably throw away a capsule. Um, works very well. Nice option. Uh, what might be a little bit nicer is something like this. This is called an Ellipta, uh, manufactured by GSK, which has a variety of their medications in there. Um, Brio, Anoro, Trilogy, uh, a couple of different... That's a... Uh, um, situation where the same device can deliver a couple of different methods. Uh, the big advantage to this is uh, it's not you don't have to reload it all of the um, medication is in here in a little tape um, I often compare it to if you ever played with uh, cap guns when you were a kid and you had those little the roll caps uh, with a little bit of gunpowder in there and then that would just kind of spool through that's basically what happens with this thing when you crack it open It pulls the top layer of the tape off, exposes the powder, and you just, again, breathe in real sharp like that. Uh, We can measure to make sure that you're using your uh, dry powder a little bit or making sure you're using it appropriately with this device called an InCheck check dial, uh, which, again, I go into a little bit more detail on in the video down below. Uh, So check that out if you happen to be using a dry powder inhaler. Uh, For those of you who may not be using a dry powder inhaler, um, we also have devices to check that thing out we also have or we have this other type of delivery device called a metered dose inhaler this is arguably the most familiar medication or the most familiar device uh, to just about anybody involved in uh, in lung disease stuff uh, what this is also a very good tech uh, very good device advantages over like a nebulizer it's very portable you don't need a power supply you don't need a lot of stuff but it is very sensitive to technique this probably isn't going to show up real well on the video but we're going to try it if you puff one of these if you watch what it does when it hey you can kind of see it that stuff comes out there very fast which means that it is very you have a very short window to coordinate the Delivery of the medication with the inhale and everything else to get it where it needs to go In addition, we don't often do a very good job of teaching people this stuff um, For a variety of reasons. It's not that anybody is actively saying ah, I don't care about those people We're not going to teach them anything um, every clinician out there from the primary care provider to the uh, hospitalist to the pharmacist at the drive through pharmacy is under a huge time crunch and sometimes we make assumptions about whether people can use these know how to use these or are going to read the instructions or anything like that and so that's why it's important to and this is why our next spotlight uh coming out next week is going to focus on these meter dose inhalers these are very good but they're also very sensitive to technique and they're very easy to mess up and the way we measure that technique uh well first off we'll do a little bit of demonstration The way you do a meter dose inhaler is you blow everything out. You're going to inhale and puff at about the same time. You can even inhale a little bit first um, so that everything is open and nothing hits the back of your throat. And you take a nice, slow, deep breath in like you're sighing or yawning or something like that. And then you do a breath hold at the end. So the whole maneuver looks a bit like this. more or less how do we analyze that well we have a very nice technique just like we have we use these uh, these dials for the, the powder inhalers we have this gadget called the um, aerosol inhalation monitor or AIM or aim what the aim does is let us look at the entire process of using that inhaler and let us do it in a way that is very objective Um, it's not uh, you know our eyes will fool us sometimes um, but we can get very accurate technique in with this device it also gives us some really nice feedback right away turn all the lights on get it all nice and pretty and so what this will do is um, there's a little bit of distilled water in here sterile water connected to this thing that looks very similar to most of the meter dose inhalers on the market connected to this pressure tube the device will be able to detect when I puff it and when I start inhaling and make sure that they're in the right window it can tell when I stop inhaling Uh, it can tell how hard I'm inhaling and then all I have to do is the clinician is hit this little timer to show that um, the breath hold is over so for demonstration. And this tells me that I do, in fact, know how to get all of that medication theoretically down into the bottom of my lungs. What usually happens, especially right off the bat, when people are new to their inhalers and they've watched too many episodes of House or seen it in a movie or something like this, they go, they inhale very deeply, very fast, like this. And I don't know if you, the microphone picked it up real well, but it gives us a different, error or a different noise, kind of an error tone, and tells us that we um, not only didn't coordinate very well, but we inhaled. Actually, I told me my flow was pretty good. I guess I needed to try a little bit harder. But at any rate, nothing is even getting into our airways because it's all hitting us in the mouth because the coordination is terrible. So let's see if I can get it where I can coordinate, but I'm still breathing too fast. And you see it's got that bad noise again. This time I did coordinate pretty well, but I got red lights on the flow and the inspiratory time, and it's telling me that you got it into your mouth, but it hit the back of your throat. So this is a really valuable tool for us clinicians um, to really target what parts of those inhalation maneuvers need to be practiced and need to be retaught. So again, as I said with the the InCheck dial, uh video or the DPI the dry powder inhaler video. Um if your if your provider's office doesn't have one of these things uh they should. They're not terribly expensive, they're more expensive than the in-check um but they're worth it. They're worth it for good patient care. They're worth it to help keep people out of the hospital living their best lives. Uh, they're a very worthy investment. So uh, the last kind of inhaler is the newest one that we have on the market right now. Uh, called the Rusfomat. This is made by a company called uh, Berenger Ingelheim. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, actually. Uh, but this is kind of um, basically a mechanical nebulizer. It comes out much more slowly than a traditional meter dose inhaler. Let's see if we can. It's a longer plume. And it comes out more slowly, and in theory, that makes it a little bit easier to inhale. Um, The downside to this is because this is all launched by a spring, it can be a little bit hard to twist. And, oh, there we go. Sometimes it pops open into the next dose until you get a little bit of a wasted dose. Now, Now that I did it on accident, I won't be able to do it again on purpose. But what I can do is simulate something similar where if your hand slips off of it and it happens to pop back, then half a dose goes spraying out into the room all of these devices have pros and cons Um, all of them work for the right people meter dose inhalers and such can have adjuncts like this thing Uh, this is called a valve holding chamber uh, which really optimizes how much medication you're going to get into your lungs because it it, it allows you to have a bigger buffer with the coordination uh, and do that proper inspiratory flow we also have mini spacers like this this is called an inflow cone these travel a little bit better than some of these valve holding chambers Um, so people tend to use them a little bit more Uh, perfect world you're going to use one of these every time but at least use something like this every time but the key thing to remember is that each of these medications each of these devices has to match the individual It has to match the things that you are able to do it has to match the things that you need to do and it has to match the things that are going to get you to adhere to your regimen um, you know, I've had people come in and say, well, that medication didn't work. I haven't been taking it, and I ask them why, and they, well, it tastes bad. When things taste bad, uh, my wife can tell you this, um, she had me taking some kind of multivitamin horse pill that was like eight pounds of of, of pill, and it tasted horrible, and I said, I'm just not going to take that anymore. Uh, and So whatever it is, whether it's powders, whether it's... Um, the meter dose inhalers the slow mist inhalers whether it's a bronchodilator whether it's a steroid whatever it is it has to match your needs so that you are willing and able to take it correctly and to again get that best result out of your uh, out of your medications one last thing I want to emphasize real quick I forgot to say it when we're talking about those steroids uh, when you're using an inhaled corticosteroid you absolutely, absolutely, absolutely have to rinse your mouth out um, uh, with a gargle, with a little r- uh, rinse, swish, spit. You know, we, we talk about it a lot of different ways. Get that um, uh, film back out of your mouth so that you don't develop uh, this thing called thrush. And if you've ever had thrush, you know that is a really unpleasant thing, and you don't want any part of that. So that is our medication show for this week. Uh, appreciate everybody stopping by today. Um, we do have some time for questions, comments, concerns, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to scroll back a little bit here uh, and say hello to lots of people. Hello to Kathy. Hope you're still with us. Shar, hope you're uh, warming up a little bit up there in Canada. Uh, Susan from Green Valley, Arizona. Well, thank you for tuning in. Lisa from Sitka, Alaska. I don't think I've ever had anybody from Alaska before on any of these shows. Um, Last year, a bit into the year before that, I had a show uh, called COPD Navigator Live. We have a group here on Facebook called COPD Navigator that is a patient focused, patient centered uh, community for um, objective, evidence based uh, COPD information and support. Uh, Support is a key component to any kind of good chronic uh, illness management program, so we try to cover all of our bases there. Uh, this started uh, as an outgrowth of that i invite anybody who is interested to join our group on facebook Uh, if you're tuning in through the copd navigator page there should be a link on the page somewhere um, or we're easy enough to find if you search for copd navigator Uh, one thing uh, i can't believe i forgot to mention at the top of the show uh, is that we uh, did reach our 100 subscriber um, threshold on youtube uh, so we we're able to change our name. I, I had a channel um, many people may recognize me or know me um, at Mucophile um, That's my still my Twitter handle a couple other things in that regard That was an old brand that I had and I just wanted to repurpose that uh, with a lot of the COPD navigator stuff So when we hit hundred subscribers, they're allowing us to do that and so you can see And I got to switch back to uh, the right screen here You can see because I still don't know my right from my left Um, We were able to do that. So thank you all very much for uh, hitting up those that YouTube channel Um, I really want this to to become a thing because we do not have enough COPD awareness um, In our community in our state in the country and around the world so I'm hopeful that I can bring some of that uh, to everybody and uh, The kids tell me that these things like Instagram and YouTube and all that stuff are where it's at these days so that is what I am trying to do uh, scroll back a little bit more Bernadette sorry I missed you before hello from the United Kingdom uh, across the pond that is fantastic um, and hello to Giovanna too so uh, Michelle Michelle uh, mentions I use the Stiolto. Stiolto is a relatively new drug it is one of those ones that comes in this kind of device uh, it is a combination of our old friend Spariba that um, not only comes in the little egg, but also this kind of thing, which uh, a lot of people find a bit easier to use, um, which is a the long-acting controller, anticholinergic, and a um, in, uh, long-acting beta agonist bronchodilator. So it's got the two bronchodilators in one device, uh, works really well for a lot of people because it's got that, that slow mist, and it does have... Um, uh, pretty good delivery device and uh, does not have the steroids so it really is a nice option for those people who don't need the anti-inflammatory effect uh, and so we don't have to expose them to that higher risk of pneumonia uh, Michelle unfortunately has also had thrush which I would not wish on anybody um, I, actually I can't swear that I've had it myself but I have heard a lot of stories from a lot of people who have had it and it is not something that I would want to encounter um, in my life so uh, let's see what else do we have here we're gonna check some of the other groups here to see if anybody has left a comment um, just to see if uh, you know again if you drop a comment here on the video itself it's a little bit easier to uh, to see the um, to see and respond to but we do have it going through a couple of other channels now however it does look like we are Closing up shop for this week, this presentation. Um, Tune in in two weeks um, where I should have had my little calendar with me where we're talking about the topics. um, We will be talking about, if I can get back on the right page here, uh, I believe we're talking about oxygen next time. Could that be? Could be. There is a lot of stuff to talk about when we're talking about oxygen. There was, uh, as a matter of fact, just this morning, um, I don't know if anybody is familiar with um, a gentleman by the name of V-Dog MD, Dr. Zubin Damania from out in Las Vegas. Uh, He um, does a lot of of, uh, medical awareness, tries to raise a lot of issues, and he was talking about medical myths and things like that. And the idea of the hypoxic drive theory came out, which is something that many people uh, who are using oxygen and have COPD are sensitive to. Uh, so we're going to talk about why that is truly a myth, um, assuming that I am right. And next one up, yes, uh, the February the 20th, we will be talking about no O2. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, how to figure out if you need supplemental oxygen. Um, how to use the different devices because there is a little bit of a difference between some of these uh, these various things uh, We're gonna be talking about uh, concerns issues all that kind of stuff uh, So if you have any questions you want to get loaded up into the queue uh, drop them in the comments below or off to the side depending on what kind of Screen you're viewing this on maybe it's up there. Who knows? Uh, everybody's got a little bit different screen. So drop us a, a comment uh, drop us a question If there we've got our uh, topics lined up for the next couple of months now, but if there is something that you want to see either here on uh, the live show breathe TV, or if you want to see in our little short bits, the, the spotlight segment, let us know. And we will definitely do our best to accommodate that. Make sure that you uh, come join us in our Facebook community, COPD navigator. Make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube. Make sure you do all the other hustle and flow kind of stuff. And, uh, um doesn't appear like there are any other questions. I hope everybody has a fantastic rest of your Wednesday. I appreciate you spending some time with me. Go out there, stay warm, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Take care.